two ladies exploring the personal stories and experiences of women in ufology and the paranormal. Welcome to our next episode of Women of the Dark. Hello, Abs. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Yeah, things are not taking along nicely. Good, good. We are very, very pleased to welcome our guest today, the lovely Cheryl Costa from all the way over the other side of the pond to us. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And thank you for joining Thank you. Um, so yeah, welcome. Um, for those of you who don't know Cheryl or aren't familiar with Cheryl, um, she is a published mystery writer, UFO researcher, author, journalist. bit of everything, all mixed into one. And uh, I read in your bio before Cheryl, and it made me laugh that you you hunted hackers for a living. I did. Yes, 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 I did. Yeah, that's what it said about me, uh, about you, sorry. You, she hunted hackers. I thought, I like that little piece. Fabulous. And the goofy thing about it was when I was hunting, when I was doing that job, I was a buzz cut wearing Dalai Lama robes, ordained Buddhist nun at the time. Okay. <laughs> so it was a very ethical practice for me to, you know, go looking for the bad guys, as it's, they say. It's something you don't put together, like hackers and technology and Buddhist nun. It does conjure up a certain image in your head, doesn't it? That that's yeah. We tried we tried to pitch it to a television producer for a TV series because it was so outlandish, and he didn't believe us. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. Whipping at the laptop from under the robes, come and get it. <laughs> well, so I, she... I was ordained that they call a knock a knockmo as well, concurrent ordinations, and so technically I was a yogi. Okay? Oh, okay. And um, junior level yogi, but I was a yogi. And uh, the pitch was, you know, it's just, you know, yogi sleuth, you know, nah, 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 nah. <laughs> they couldn't deal with that. <laughs> so, yeah, of all the things that I read about you, that was my favorite bit that you were a, ha- a hacker hunter. Well, you know, the funny thing about it, though, I made the argument to him. I said, look, I got a program called Grantchester. The guy's in the Anglican church and he helps solve mysteries. Why can't I solve hackers, you know? Uh Uh-huh. There's no reason why not, is there? (laughs) (laughs) Even as a reality program would be awesome. It would. It would. Cheryl, do you want to tell us a little bit about you then and how you sort of came into the, uh, the field of ufology? Okay, um... I suppose let's go start at the beginning. Uh, I was about 12 years old. It was 1965, about three weeks before school started in the fall. Uh, we were visiting an uncle up on a farm coming down off the hill Sunday afternoon, about four o'clock, clear blue sky in every direction. And my mother has my father stop the car. And she points out into the western sky and parked out there like a rock was a sphere. Right. Silver sphere. Mm-hmm. And to give you an idea how big it was, it varied from about, you hold your arm uh, your arm out, look at your thumb, from anywhere from the size of your thumbnail to the size of your little thing, it, it moved around uh-huh. a bit. And we'd sat there and talked about it. My mother said, you know, it might be the NASA, it might be the Air Force, it might be a weather balloon, and it might be people from another world. And of course, that fascinated the 12-year-old. Yeah. And uh, I got back 
dad started the car up. We got back down the bottom of the hill, turned left to head back to the hometown. And I got up in the back window. Those cars back then had these huge back windows. And I was like, you know, who are you guys? Who are you guys? You know, that kind of thing. And when that thing decided to leave, it was when this gone. Wow. And it changes you. Uh-huh. Okay. You're never quite the same after that. Um, mom and dad, when you're a teenager, mom and dad are stupid. They don't get anything, you know? So here I am 12, 13 years old. And, but my mother and I had an understanding that we could talk about this topic like adults. Mm-hmm. It's always mums, isn't it? It's never dads. It's always mums. Yeah. And when I got... <laughs> How do I want to say? No, dad was really disconnected about it. You know, he just went, you know, but um, he really did. Um, uh, Thought we were both nuts. And, uh, but I would go, I remember I was a boy in those days. Right. Okay. So I would go to the barbershop. There'd be magazines, UFO stories, Argosy magazine. Hey, take it across the street to the coffee shop, get it coffee, take it home, you know? And so that got me interested. Um, When I, got out of high school i went right in the air force and from that moment i went in the air force in august of 1970 it started a 32 actually closer to a 42 year period of being under a security clearance Mm -hmm. and we had been in the air force a couple of weeks and they took a bunch of us into this room showed us this list of 150 organizations you can't be a member of and have a clearance Right. And MUFON was on that, you know, oh. the Mutual <laughs> UFO Network. Really? They'd only been around a couple of years. Wow. Okay. And, and their predecessor, their predecessor, APRO, was also on there. Uh, so we said, uh, okay, I'm just going to just keep this under my under my hat. Fine. I saw a UFO on Christmas Eve, 1971, when I was stationed in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so I always had an interest. I always read things as they came by, but I wasn't a fanatic about it. Yeah. Okay. Um, I had to go on a business trip in around 1990. And I got hospitalized while I was out of town for almost uh, two weeks. Wow. Okay. And on a business trip, you know, how inconvenient. And this, the bad part about it was, is I had to have abdominal surgery. And when I went on the business trip, I knew I'd be gone for a couple of months when I, I had put my entire apartment into storage. So I literally had no place home to come back to. Mm-hmm. So this friend of mine, I, I called him up. And I said, do you got someplace I can crash? And he says, tell you what, my dad's on chemo. Come on over. I'll give you the keys. Stay at my house, feed the cat. I'm happy. You know, uh, you know, go, you know, do it. You know, I said, fine i ended up staying there six months this guy had first edition hardback ufo books from all the top authors up until that point yeah and so i was like going to college it was really yeah. cool because the guy didn't have cable you know so I <laughs> your own personal <laughs> library yeah, so okay fine so I, I i have this heavy thing with there okay fine i go through I'm, i was in the air force for two years served in vietnam had to get out because a hardship discharge for my uh, family had a fl- the flood in the hometown house was filled with water to the second floor um 
two years helping them with that. And then I decided to go back into service. This time I went into Navy and got two years of high tech training. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I was, remember, I was still a boy person. So I was in nuclear submarines and I was trained to do uh, electronic intelligence gathering. Okay. Didn't matter whose ship it was, we fingerprinted it electronically. Okay. And then they figured out, I figured out I had a dark room. So they sent me to Periscope Photography School. So now I could gather photo intelligence, you know. So I can't tell you any more than that. Trust okay. me. Okay. Okay. Um, so it happens. I, I then I get out of the Navy eight years later and I'm auto, almost immediately in the defense industry. So 32 years working for Lockheed Murray. <laughs> Okay. So until 2011, I really couldn't speak up about UFOs, mm -hmm. but I was pretty well read. Yeah. Um, I went to work for a newspaper. This is how this all starts at this point. I went to work for a newspaper after they retired me in 2011. And uh, they they were doing some cost cutting. So they re they retired a whole bunch of us that were over 30 years with the company and just kind of retired us early. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. So I went to work for a newspaper. And I was finishing a 40-year-old bachelor's degree, okay. entertainment writing. Oh, okay. 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 Uh, in fact, entertainment writing was not a program. Creative writing was, but entertainment writing wasn't a program. They built the thing around me. Wow. Because I came in with a five-page resume. Okay. And a third of it was writing radio programs, writing television programs, uh, the cable programs, that kind of thing. So, and I was a published writer, so fine. Uh, so they built the whole thing around me. And uh, in 2012, I came home one night from the newspaper. We had to wait the last two hours of the night till about three o'clock in the morning for the, the presses to finish running the morning edition. And I closed the garage door and I used to have a thing that if the sky was clear, I would stand in the driveway and I'd look up at Big Dipper out in the northern sky and just kind of let the night the night kind of the meditation thing let the the night fall off of me and uh, that's left over from the monastery kind of life and all of a sudden i heard this pulsing humming sound that type of thing mm -hmm. and i glanced up above me and i could see the stars blotting out and it was sort of had an edge to it next thing i know this thing about two football fields long has gone over me triangle shape and it's about two maybe three stories deep with those wow. big light thing the big bright things on the back and i'm, I'm just sitting there uh, you know <laughs> looking at this thing um eight months later i had a newspaper column okay and i pitched about six editors and they all laughed me out of the office. One had me escorted to the door by security, that kind of thing. Uh, it just, it was, they thought it was nuts. Oh, we can't do our weekly column about that, you know, get out of here. And so a guy I used to work with at the paper I worked for, so I didn't write for them. Mm -hmm. The paper I worked for, I was in the technical department. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. We made the plates every night and we were to back up electronic technicians at night if something broke. Yeah, yeah. So, um, he calls me up. He used to, he retired from there from the paper I worked for big paper and daily and became the editor in chief over at this little weekly. He says, come on over. I hear you've been pitching. Come on over. Let's talk. So we sit down and have a cup of coffee together. And turns out we're about the same age. We'd read all the same books coming up. 
And he says, I can't write that column, but you can. I'll try you out for a month. Ever see The Princess Bride? Yeah. Okay. Well, he says, I'll try you out for a month. Calls me up four or five weeks later, has his tone, the Dread Pirate Roberts, I'll most likely kill you in the morning kind of thing. And he said, get over here. We have to talk. I said, all right. So I get over there. I'm 10 minutes late to the meeting. Walk into the boardroom. All the columnists are round around the table there. And he's talking to him. He stops, looks at me, points at me and says, there's our rock star. Okay. I said, what are you talking about? He says, you've been here four weeks and you're pulling more page views on the web edition than everybody here. Just keep doing it. So I was there for seven years doing a weekly column. Now, people say to me all the time, wow, writing a weekly column, that must be fun. It's a thousand word term paper due every Thursday. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the dog can't eat it. You yeah. Know? So, um, so we got very creative with some of the stories. My spouse, Linda, uh, would if I was on Wednesday and I didn't have something written, she would say, well, you know, you haven't looked at this. You haven't looked at that. You have never discussed this, you know, and something would, you know, hit a, hit a, a nerve. And I say, oh, hey, I'll run with that. And I'd spend the rest of the day researching it. That's how I started writing a UFO column. And you had to have something to write about every week. So at one point I started New York State in the United States was my beat. And I started adding up local stuff, you know, different cities in upstate New York. And we started, I started seeing patterns to it. And so we went ahead and did all the counties in New York state. And the goofy thing is MUFON collects county data. National UFO Reporting Center doesn't. So when we took the city data, we had to put the county data with it in these spreadsheet database thing we set up. And we went to old MUFON investigators, retired guys, retired state directors, that type of thing. And they looked at this stuff and they said, wait a minute, we didn't know there was a pattern there. We didn't know there was a cluster over there. We didn't, we thought Lake Erie was the, was um, the, the Western ground zero of it. And I said, but it's there at Lake Ontario. And everybody thought the Hudson Valley was ground zero in New York state. Turns out to be Long Island. Right. Uh, who knew, you know? So uh, Linda and I were sitting in our favorite pub with a couple of pints, October of 2015. And the discussion went something that in fact, look at all the cool stuff we found. And Linda said, what if we did the whole country? I understand what what the deal is she's got a real <laughs> science degree she's the real scientist in the household i've got the arts and entertainment degree the top hat and the cane okay so uh we said okay we'll do this maybe it'll take us uh, you know 12 months it took us 18 months and we came out with the first book was which was called the ufo oh, it's not going to show it to you uh, my background <laughs> kicked in it's the UFO sightings desk reference, United States of America, 2001 to 2015. And the New York Times did a story about us in April, April 24th, and it was on 25th in the print edition. And they did it in Science Magazine. It wasn't one of these articles, hey, these are kooks and crackpots in upstate New York. Yeah. Ralph Blumenthal, one of the guys that broke the A-tip story. Mm-hmm in 2017 went to his editors with a copy of our book and says i know why we don't report ufos small ladies in new york upstate new york did the science you know <laughs> and uh so 
Times does their story. The next morning, first phone call I got in the morning at 8.30 in the morning was the Times of London. Okay. Right? And the phone rang till 10.30 that night. Yeah. I called the newspaper the next morning. Their phones had been ringing off the hook all day long. We were talking to news directors and editors all over the world from a dinky little paper in upstate New York. That's all it takes, isn't it's it? All it takes. That's all it takes. So I run my mouth too much, but that's basically how we got into the UFO statistics side of the, uh -huh. of the thing. And these days where a number of people refer to us as the mothers of UFO statistics is not even Project Blue Book did this stuff. So no, absolutely an amazing tale. Yeah, it make me feel as if I've been further than my gate and I'm still sucking rocks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's it's phenomenal the stuff that you have done. And with doing that, did you get much pushback while you were researching? Can I tell the truth? Yeah, that's what we want. Okay, absolutely. Well, gay ladies in upstate New York come out with a scientific book about UFO statistics covering the first 15 years of the 21st century. First thing we had to overcome. One, who are these chicks? Did they fall out of the sky? <laughs> Nobody had ever heard of us, other than the fact that they knew I wrote a column. Um, the other thing was, uh, I'm a tranny person, so, oh boy, we caught crap there. Then there were the other, what I'm going to call the dunderheads in the UFO community. The book's nothing but charts, graphs, and numbers. Where's the case studies? Yeah. Okay. Where's, the, where's the pictures? Yeah, and yeah. where's the pictures? Yeah, yeah, we got that a lot too. So there were a lot of people just pushed back, says, you got to have case studies. And I said, look, case studies are individual autopsies. We decided instead of looking at one ant to nauseam, we decided to look at the ant hill. Yeah, the bigger picture and coming from Linda's side of it, uh, use that autopsy thing. Instead of looking at one autopsy, we decided to look at the disease model, the bigger yep. model. OK, look for clusters based on not based on hearsay, not based on folklore, which a lot of it was based on real numbers. OK, and uh, all the places that people told us in New York State were that were or for that matter, any place else in the United States that was supposed to be these big hot spots weren't. Other places were. They were just okay. the ones that was getting the most track. The most the talk, most. yeah. Yeah. How, um, how did you deal with all the negativity and the backlash that comes with it? Because it's something that Abs and I have spoken to to other people on, on our show about before, and it's things, you know, it's something that we've experienced as women in this area you know the the name calling they must be nutters they must be you know lock it need locking up in some lunatic asylum how yeah how did you deal with that and get through that because it, it it's hard i think it was a little harder on linda because when i went through my transition i got outed nationally right and it actually ended up being a blessing mm -hmm. because i was able to keep my clearance because i couldn't be blackmailed Okay. Okay. I had a government guy come to me at one point. They realized I was mid-transition. I was getting pretty soft in the office, but still wearing a shirt and tie to work, you know? Yeah. And uh, uh, double pierced earrings, eyebrows were getting thinner, mascara a little bit, you know, <laughs> and you know, and permed hair, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so they said, well, we think you can be blackmailed. I said, okay. 
I said, what if I could fix that? We can't see how, but we'll be back in three weeks. We'll turn your clearance off in three weeks. See you in three weeks. So three weeks later, I come back in. I throw a VHS tape on the desk. I said, I'm the blonde on Phil Donahue. I'm the redhead on Gary Collins. And these were two national talk programs. And the guy said, this guy's jaws like down here. And he's going, my God, you came out on national television. I said, can't be blackmailed. Oh, and I ran copies for all the guys in the office. We gave them, gave them to them and they took them home and watched them with their wives. Everybody knows. And I got a letter from the defense department about a week later. It says, we want you to see a department of defense certified psychiatrist we think what you did on national television was bad judgment so i said sure just send me to somebody who's qualified in sex and gender and they mm -hmm. said no problem so they sent me to see this guy down in dupont circle in dc now understand dupont circle in downtown washington dc is the gay district oh okay okay so um, i'm there talking to the guy for about 20 minutes i show him some of the articles i was writing for one of the national trans magazines at the time okay and he looked at my stuff he talked to me for 20 minutes he says cheryl you're saner than the people who sent you here <laughs> he says but we got to run a full set of psychologicals on you because they're going to pay for it i said i just had a full set done at hopkins he said no nah, don't worry what's on there nickel let's do it you know so they ran me through the ringer comes back paperwork comes back subject x you know and other this guy hit other psychiatrist look at it and says wow this person should be in mensa oh she's a little hysterical um she's visually oriented um she's dyslexic but perfectly healthy woman took this test would you like to meet him you know? <laughs> 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 so uh, from that point forward within a month my, my clearance was adjudicated and i never got any more crap now what was fun with this i managed to get a Department of Defense letter, copy of that letter adjudicating my clearance and indicating I'd been cleared with the psychological stuff and everything on Defense Department letterhead. And I had it, you know what decoupaging is when you put it on yeah. a piece of wood, yeah. put all slack on it, kind of, you know, do yeah. it with a degree or something. I had a, a decoupage version of it in my office. So when people would walk into my office, I had a lot of pushback and prejudice in the office. Cost said, you're crazy. And I said, I got a letter that says I'm saying, what do you got? I think I think we I need one to fight that. But I'm sorry, say that again. I think Abby and I need a couple of letters that say that to be honest. There you we, go. We I'm not sure I've been given one. <laughs> okay. Well the UFO stuff. The UFO stuff. Yeah, a lot of people called us and others. And actually, the real nasty pushback was coming from within the UFO within the UFO community. Yeah, yeah. we find out because there was this this anchored in idea that the only way you can study UFOs was with a case study. Mm -hmm. And Linda, Miss Scientist over here, she was the head librarian for the Toxicology Library for the Environmental the um, Environmental Protection Agency for fifteen years. She worked at the National Academy of Science smart chick okay so um her argument back was is there's more than one way to crack a nut and there's more than one ways to investigate a topic matter of course get used to it this is how we're doing it oh yeah they came to us why didn't you go back 40 years because we were doing 2001 to 2015 we decided we were going to do a 20 year study 
all we were going to do. We weren't going to prove what they were. We weren't going to case study. We were going to measure the scale of the phenomena. All about the numbers. Something very much different. Just measure the scale. How big is it? How many states? How big numbers do they have? Okay. Um, and try and clean other information out of the, out of the data, you know. Uh, uh, before we came along, everybody said that, well, you, the places where most sightings are in the major cities. And if you're just plotting dots, yes, that's true. But when you analyze the data, it's happening in the suburbs, the bedroom communities, the unincorporated communities further out, and the rural communities. Between And, oh, by the way, not all day long, but between 7 o'clock at night and 1130. Who knew? Nobody knew that till we till we crunched the numbers and showed what it was. Uh, John Keel wrote a book back in uh, back in the seventies. Hats off to John Keel for even doing numbers back then, but he had a small database, only about a thousand, and it was skewed to the southwest. And it came out with the famous Wednesday phenomena. Everybody knows UFOs are peak day on Wednesday. It's actually Saturday because we've got big data. 21st yeah. century, we do big data like Google and Amazon, mm -hmm. okay? And that was the flavor of the whole thing. But boy, the pushback was terrible. So we, we limped through eight, 2018 and by 2000, we did some presentations. And then by 2019, I was booked in some place about every two weeks for the whole year. And it was over the winter, December, January timeframe going into 2019 that we put together a good pres side presentation and we had some a horrid pushback one night on a podcast. And I told Linda, I was going to make a minor change to it. Going to my slide presentation, four additional slides right at the front. This progression of slides, one, it showed what I looked like in combat gear in Vietnam, him. Okay. And then it showed a picture of me in the Navy, big, bushy, Paul Bunya beard, you know, uh, any Scotsman would have loved it. Nice and red, you know? So, okay. Honest to God, it's just, just, just orange red. And, um, and then here's my glamour shot, professional glamour shot. And I said, this is who I am. I became who I thought I was. Oh, next slide. Here's me and Linda jumping over the broom in her Stuart family tartan. The Stuart family that goes... The Stuart family that is related to the royal family. Okay. Di Diana's die side. Uh, and I said, and I first show I did this in was in Nevada. And I thought I'm going to get stoned off stage. I showed those for a couple of slides and I got, and I looked at them and I said, if you can't deal with us, you're never going to deal with ET. Yeah. I got 600 people standing ovation. Wow. Just blew me away. Now, the funny part about that conference was I'm backstage. I don't know the sound guy is out in the house. He's got the board back there in the back of the house with the pots and everything, right? Yeah. I'm backstage. I slept wrong. I had a little bit of a, I don't want to call it a sore throat, but I just say my voice was off. And uh, I'm going, and I'm back there trying to clear my throat. They got the microphone on me. I don't know it's hot. So I do one of my little theatrical things. My name is Mashenka Petrova. I am former colonel of Soviet Air Force. I trained in Ural Mountains. I am a flight surgeon. 
A moment later, I'm hearing it bounce back at me and echoing through this big cavernous house in the hotel. I'm going, oh my God. <laughs> so, so I'm going, oh boy. So when I first come out to do the presentation after the introducement, the first thing I did was introduce, um, greet them in Russian. Pretty vet, you know. Don't ask me how I know Russian. <laughs> I'll be classified. <laughs> That's not classified, but let's say uh, it was done to be classified. So <laughs> it's not very good anymore, but I, I still know snow still know a bit. Uh, I've been known to tell my spouse good night in Russian, you know. Oh. So not that I intend it, just when I'm really tired, you know. It you know. just comes out. Mm. You're in a Russian. Da. <laughs> Love it. So the, the rest of that year went very well with that 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 presentation. And we really turned some heads with what the data we had just then. And what we've got now, after in COVID, we had all dressed up, no place to go. We built the pink book, which is the 2020 version. So the reason it's pink. In 2019, before we knew about COVID, the usual suspects are lobbyists in D.C., called us up and says senator rubio is going to attach a bill to hold congressional hearings they were on the inside track and he'll probably attach it to something like a continuing spending package or something like this for the military something they know will pass and eventually maybe in 2020 or 2021 we'll have hearings again again we did not know covid was coming and he says cheryl you and linda are the only two people that's ever done the statistics. Not even Project Blue Book did this. Would you be one to testify if called? I said, of course. Wow. Of course, our attitude was, please understand, we used to both be defense contractors in D.C. We spent our whole career trying not to testify before Congress. <laughs> okay. So we said, sure. So Linda was not comfortable with this, but she's okay. Yeah, I got to do it. So we were sitting there having afternoon. We, we, we practice afternoon tea in this household. Very impressive. Tea and four o'clock, uh, four, four 30 tea and biscuits. Okay. Um, got a special little electric kettle and everything. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're angle, we're angle files. Okay. So, okay. Oh, that's okay by us. So we're sitting there talking about this. And I said, okay, imagine congressional hearings. We're on C-SPAN. Guys up there, senators, congressmen, leafing through things. Big, thick books and people's reports and papers and everything. We want them to know and their audience, our television audience to know it's a couple of women that made that book. So we decided to make it bright pink, bright enough you could flag an aircraft with this. Why thing. would it make a difference that it was women that did the book? Because there was lots of people in the UFO community that didn't think women should be in UFO research. They still don't. And they still don't. You bet. So we did that. We even dedicated to Coral Lorenz, who was the um, 1952 formed the APRO, which was a predecessor to MUFON. Okay, so uh, that's where we went. And if we do our UFO, you know, we just got done doing a 50, 50 book series with D 
when we did those other books, we could only go to the state and county level. And still we had a 400 page book. And people ask me, Cheryl, how come you don't go down to the city level? Well, oh. 2020, we attempted to do that in the lab. We, we were sitting there on the big work table and we tried to run those kinds of reports. And we did a test run based on a way we like to generate our reports. And the way it would be, would be uh, uh, your county, your zip code, your hamlet or village or city, and then all the shapes that were seen with, across 20 years, 2001 to 2020. And we did a test format like that and aimed it at a PDF to see how big it would be. And it would have been three Oxford dictionaries deep. Wow. Okay. So we said, can't do that. Uh, one, it's tough to get a book like that bonded. Nobody's going to buy it. Okay. It's too expensive. So we decided to do a 50 state series. We had to do about 800 hours worth of cleanup on the database because we found out that three and a half percent of the data, remember, we're dealing with 169,632 records, almost 170,000 records. Okay. Three and a half percent of that, they didn't enter a city. They gave you all the rest of the information, but didn't tell you what city they were. Another seven and a half percent said, oh, okay, uh, Jasper, Wyoming, next to Joe's Pizza. You can't sort on a thing like that. <laughs> okay. So we decided, or they spelled the name of their city wrong. Okay. And we had a lot of that. So we brought the thing down out of the database, brought it down to an Excel spreadsheet, and we merged in, lined up the columns, merged in a golden email list. And went in there and sorted it by state and city and then corrected or added the counties where necessary. And we're dealing with the data from both the National UFO Reporting Center and from MUFON. Okay. Uh, it turned into an 850-hour effort. It was like going back to work at Lockheed. I was working a 35-hour week. I was getting up every morning, having coffee with the missus, and we would sit down. I would sit down and bang at it till 4 5 o'clock in the afternoon. Okay, five days a week. I gave myself the weekend, and it it took from the middle second week of August in 2020. Again, we weren't going anyplace uh, to um, the first week of January of 2021. By that time, I'm getting the data from 2020. So I'm cleaning that up. So uh, we literally put the pink book out, I believe in March of 2021, okay? Okay, um, but we looked at the idea of doing the city of what we call the city's book. And the only way we we're gonna do it, could do it was to generate 50 individual books. Wow. And we called it the UFO uh, uh, State Statistics Series, UFO Scholar State Statistics Series. And we built them all over the past year. And uh, we decided we got them all built into PDFs. And then what we started doing was on October 31st, Halloween. Hey, I'm a card carrying witch. Got to do it on Halloween. It's good luck. Okay. So we, we launched the first book. Uh, UFOs in Ohio and where to find them. All of them were named like that. UFOs in California and where to find them, New York and where to find them. That was the series name. And uh, we went ahead and put that first one up. And within a week, we had Michigan up. And shortly thereafter, we were tightening up our process. 
And shortly thereafter, within another week, we were putting up five a week. Okay. And we started putting them up. And we had told everybody to probably have them all up by the end of January. Uh, we got so tight by the end, especially like screaming towards the, the Christmas holidays, we were putting up 10 a week. Wow. Amazon. And they were yeah. usually up within, usually up within anywhere from uh, 18 hours to 24 hours. Okay. And available to order. We only made like two mistakes where we had to take it out of out of publication long enough to upload another manuscript because there was a, a glitch or something. We got them all up by December 27th. We did it in uh, under 60 days. That's some going. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about having people when you people ask you on a resume, what was your greatest achievement? That's the one I'm pointing at right now. Yeah. We published 50 books in two months, you know. Um so that was the big effort. That was the big effort. Now people are bugging me. What's what's next? What's next? And I said, look, I'm kind of cooling down from what I just worked on for the past <laughs> year and a half, two years. Okay, uh, what I'm working on right now, we're going to do an announce just like that, except we're doing 25 books for the 25 identifiable shapes, and drill I've right down to the, yeah, take that, that take one shape triangles, and we're going to give you every state county zip code hamlet and where they were seen what dates okay where do you where do you get your data from is it just like the two sources or do you do just national ufo reporting center and mufon um that's the place most people now a lot of people were pointing me at mom pa sites and things but half the time the same report was also on one of the other big sites so yeah. it was just easier to do that i've had people ask me to do it for europe and i can't <laughs> I can't get anybody to give me the data. There's no, no there's, there's no national. No, there isn't agency for reporting it. And they, when you do put a Freedom of Information Act in, as we have found out recently, again, they are not forthcoming. Yeah, no. they, they MOD's not helping you out, are they? You know? <laughs> but neither is the, the a lot of the police. They are um, pretty much no. It's too expensive. One or two of them have turned around and say, "No, it's ridiculous. We're not doing it." Yeah, or it's not, what's the word they use? It's not in the, the public interest or it's something. It's not in the public interest. Yeah. <laughs> but we've had quite a that few. That is code that. word for we don't want to scare all the unintelligent people. Yeah. yeah. Or we don't want to tell you it's too much work. We're gonna... Or the truth. Yeah. Yeah. So um, ultimately, we, we want to produce that. And I already know how to do it. I've cleaned up every individual. We actually ended up building a separate little database for each state so I could clean up each one and then pull each of those databases and merge them all into one big golden mail database. But I'm a little burned out from doing the state series. I can imagine. So I said, I'm going to take six months off to work on my pros. Yeah. Okay. Um, magical musings of a rogue witch. Excellent. And I'm a retired semi-retired wicked priestess of 44 years so um i put my magic book out it basically when a priestess retires in my lineage there's an expectation that you'll write a book about your life in magic and i was surprised how many witches and, and, and women in ufology are witches and are ufo investigators so hey well see there you go <laughs> <laughs> 
Here we are. And people say, oh, wait a minute, how does that connect? I says, hey, we're all used to walking with one foot on Main Street, one foot in the Twilight Zone. What the heck? UFOs are just one more weird thing that we deal with, you know. Have you have you written sort of any academic type papers? No. Um, Can't get an academia to talk to us. No. Our Don't desk references should be good enough for them. We have reached out to... See, I did uh, 16 in upstate New York. Are there are 32 state state colleges, which are called the State University of New York. They have uh, they have um, uh, 32 of those schools, and I sent I reached out to 16 of them, and they all turned me away, including Albany University. Okay. And the paradox there is Albany University took my papers. They took 25 crate loads worth of it out of my clock, out of my, um, out of my garage uh, back in November, 2021, just before we moved to here. Okay. To, I'm, we're in Cleveland, Ohio now. Okay. Uh, about a year ago, a year ago, December, we moved to Cleveland, Ohio. Linda's from here. She said, I want to go home when I retire. So here we are. Um, love the winter in Cleveland. It's lovely. Say that again. Winter in Cleveland is lovely. Um, you know, yesterday I could have shown you a lovely picture out here with the tree just covered with three to six inches of snow. Okay. It was it, absolutely yeah. picturesque and most of it's melted off in the last day or so. But the bottom line is we did this. Uh, we reached out to colleges. We moved here. We're in a place called Cuyahoga County. That's the county where Cleveland is. We're in the burbs. We're in a place called Rocky River. And uh, I reached out to eight of the major schools and like a couple of them are they're very much up there, like Case Western Reserve University, you know, that kind of thing. Linda went there and we made them an offer. Allow us to come and present our data. Crickets. New York State, I reached out to any college I reached out to of the state university system. I reached out to the physics department, anthropology, sociology, earth sciences, okay, and mathematics. Again, crickets, nothing, okay? So uh, we did it here for eight schools here, offered to come give them a free presentation for their faculty and students, you know, and nothing. Right now we're doing we're doing a seven part series with the Cuyahoga Library System, um, and we uh, we packed the house last week, and we had bad weather last night, so we didn't have as good a good a turnout. But uh, those audiences are eating it up. But uh, see, there there was a question you asked me to get me there. Um, that's that. Yes, um, it's archived. And if you were to Google Cheryl Costa, Cheryl with a C, Costa with a C, journalist, within a couple of lines, you'll see a thing for um, a, an archive at the uh, University of Albany. And they quite literally refer to me as a Renaissance woman. Oh, okay. Okay, to list all the things that I've done, and the last line in the in the bio, the, the the little mini biography uh, on the for the collection, she is a UFO researcher, okay. which I think is cool because yeah, any every time we finish something, we send them the manuscript after we publish, so yeah. everything's going in that archive. So 
as the director of the program told me, he says, Cheryl, this is immortality. I have to ask, what were they going to use the papers for? Somebody will get a PhD or a master's degree 50 years after I'm dead. not really fair is it i mean let's well, like, no, no, we it's like, it will take what you're given is given it's you know, like sitting down with newton's papers or something you know it, it, you know it's going to be an academic thing and linda's attitude on the thing is that this 50 book series right now it's the largest collection of collected analyzed and digested and published ufo data data ever published in human history that's okay. Achievement. It, yeah. <laughs> you know, and uh, people look at me when I say that. They, they, it, it just kind of washes over them. And then it, it dawns on, holy God, you know, what have you done? You know, and I says, well, sometimes I wonder, what have I done? You know, what but gets we, me about situations like that is when you've done this and you've achieved so much and it's getting talked about and it's, it's there, it's out, everybody's aware of it. And then they say, oh, it's two women that did this. Like, it's a shock or a surprise. Well, the other thing they say is, oh, no, a woman in an almost woman <laughs> made it. That's honest to God, I get that. Too. Oh, that's rude. Yeah. And <laughs> people, <clears throat> excuse me, people say to me all the time, when you just changed gender a couple of years ago, right? I said, no, 33 years ago, hon. <laughs> it's old yeah. news. Yeah. You know? But I'm very open about it because I was, again, it protected me. But it's current now, isn't it? It's it's more in the media and it's more current now. Yeah. So we, and get, we actually get more backlash from women than we do men half of the time. Yeah. Most of the time, the men are like, oh, yeah, that's very interesting. But then I'm, don't tell anybody I said that. And where the women no, are. I hear that all the time, too. Antagonistic. To a yeah. point. Yeah. Cheryl, can I ask you a question? Um, Any, okay, here's the deal on the questions. Okay, okay go on. Anything, uh, not my ATM pin and nothing no. I did in the Navy. Other no. than that, I'm an open book, hon. Excellent. Okay, well, it's nothing to do with those. Um, it's uh, what is your sort of like um, experience with and beliefs around the, the subject of the paranormal? Obviously, you're from a witchy background and you, you're a ufologist. Um, do you have any kind of paranormal ex experience, expertise, skill set or all of the above? I never I tried not to dead name myself. So we will refer to younger self as boy Cheryl. OK. Okay, boy Cheryl had heroes like John, Glenn, not John Glenn, um, uh, Alan Shepard, the first American astronaut, you know, and Doris Day. <laughs> you know, those were our heroes, right? You know, people ask me, you know, if you had a, what's your real nature? I said, me, I'm just a good Catholic boy. I go to mass every morning, and I'm a geeky kid brother, but secretly, I am Wonder Woman's sidekick, Amazon sidekick. <laughs> okay. yeah. um people don't get that and i, I my voice it's great as a talk show host a great voice for talk show host which i am you know but uh it um it, people sometimes no okay when i worked at Lockheed Martin there was a one phase when I decided to try and mask my voice i would answer the telephone good morning Cheryl Costa may I help you give a southern breathy sound to it and it just works every time Okay. And of course, until you get a sort until until you get a head cold, 
and your throat gets coated, and then you come into work sounding like Commander Worf on Star Trek, you know, good morning, Cheryl Costa's office, you know, and I was always, that was, that was my intern personality. No, Cheryl's not here. Can I help you? I'm her intern, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's how we did it. Um, I just stopped trying to do the false. Now, I do, I've had voice training. So I threw my, I typically answer the phone at a slightly higher register. Okay. But um, that's, that's the only thing I do with that. And for the most part, and I had my high glamour, big hair, big makeup face, but I lost that when I went in the monastery and I never got it back when I came out. You can take the girl out of the monastery, but you can't take the monastery out of the girl. So I just currently coming back from being shaved. There you go. I had this tight little pixie cut after I was allowed to drop uh, to uh, leave ropes after seven years. Okay, I got permission. Uh, the goofy thing was uh, I was an ordained yogi, and Linda and I had been close friends. We met in the live action role play gaming community. Really? Yes. She wow. was part of the permacast that worked for the people who ran the game, and I was one of the players, you know. In fact, I was playing. Because I was a nun and I had a buzz cut, I could get away with playing a boy. <laughs> so I was playing this this um, retired, this game was set in the 1930s. So I was playing a retired French Foreign Legion, um, retired colonel, a big, big fake mustache and the whole thing. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll email you a picture of it. It's cool stuff. Got the hat and everything, you know. And, um, and she was part of the permacast. And uh, we got to be pretty good friends. And then uh, when I got to drop the robes, I became kind of, I used to be on a thing called Live Journal, okay? And uh, kind of for Facebook and Twitter. And I, I made a comment that I was being released from my, my vows. And I was going back and becoming a civilian, so to speak. And, uh, excuse me, I got an email from her and said, I want firsties. Okay. So I said, let's take this slow. Okay, let's take this slow. Um, I said, yeah, I was celibate for seven years, but I was also was not allowed to drink. Okay, Buddhist, not, Buddhist monastics can't drink. And I said, to be honest with you, I'm not exactly jumping up and down to have sex, but I could use a pint of ale in the worst way. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, so again, we said, all right, fine. So we took it real slow and got to know each other and wasn't sure she was gonna be able to fall in love with uh, the, the bionic gal, so to speak. Um, but we did. And she fell in love with me, the being that's been a million years old, has had many names, but I have none. And I am, the, I am that being behind this, these eyes of flesh, the eternal part of me, okay? The part that when this bot and when this chicken suit dies, will go and be reborn again someplace. Love knows no gender. Now, paranormal. People say um, paranormal. Okay, I was raised in a family. I was born a maternal side of my family. Clairvoyance runs down. It's genetic, and it runs down the maternal side of my, my blood family. Most of my cousins all ignore it, you know, but there was a couple of us that, that embraced it. The Catholic nuns thought I was a, a spawn of Satan because of I've, it. I've been called that. 
Yeah, yeah, it's it's uh, I, you know at the time I hated it, but you know I've often thought about getting getting a patch put on when I'm, I got a jacket and got military patches and things like that. I'm thinking about throwing the spawn of Satan patch on uh -huh. there, you know. But um, uh, I saw the I tell people I see we see the world differently, we feel the world differently. Um, I give an example: a kid, a kid's dad died of appendicitis. That's how fourth grade and one girl he had come back from his uh, bereavement you know leave and one of the little girls first morning period we're talking religion stuff and she, uh girl says what happened to stevie's dad when he passed away and the nun looked at him, well honey he's in heaven with god me and jimmy or another clairvoyant in the room we're looking at his dad sitting on the file cabinet, <laughs> smiling <laughs> adoringly at his son, you know. So um, it was that kind of stuff. So our family, the joke we have for the, those of us in the, the cousins that embrace this is we walk on Main Street with one foot on Main Street, one foot in the twilight zone. Yeah. So uh, when the whole idea of, of I was introduced to witchcraft in the Navy. Okay, I left Catholicism at 17. I was supposed to be a Catholic priest. Remember, I went to school. Boy Cheryl went to mass every morning. Yeah. Okay. Something snapped when I was 17 and said, everything the Catholic Church, I'm going to get up close and tell you this, everything the Catholic Church said is a fairy, fairy tale and a fantasy trust me because it doesn't look like the spiritual world that we clairvoyance see sure okay. i got into trouble for something similar but it was um pointing out that the bible are full of stories about the supernatural yeah lots of them and yeah i got kicked out well, look at it. They've gone out of their way. To, uh, I, I, I did a, I made a documentary for my uh, bachelor's degree. Uh, it was about a television. The documentary was 20 years later after I had produced a weekly television program about witchcraft in 1991 to 1992. We were supposed to do six episodes. We ended up getting worldwide attention for a $50 a week cable access show. Think of it kind of like a YouTube channel now. Okay. And everybody was, uh, everybody was coming in and, and, and doing a story on us. We had more, we had more press from Europe than we did in the United States, which was wow. interesting. Yeah. Um, I had a guy, a reporter at, um, I can't confirm this, but this was a prominent reporter at ABC news at the time called me up a couple months after we'd been on the air and the six episodes turned into uh, several 13-week contracts. We ended up producing 70 shows over two years, weekly shows. And it was a little dinky talk show. And Priestess is not me. I was the producer. I was in, in the control room running things. But we had, um, uh, I used to be an industrial filmmaker. That's why I know all that stuff, okay? So uh, the, the, hostess, or the, not the host of the show was like a 25-year-old um, hippie chick witch type person sitting on a pillow had incense candles burning goddess sitting there and had her guests sitting on pillows and they sat there and talked some topic matter with the crowd mm -hmm. all right people ask me these days 
well, how did you come out about witchcraft? And I said, on the front page of the Washington Post. <laughs> you can Google it. It is. If you Google the Washington Post, uh, 19 June, 1991. It's the Metro section, first page of the Metro section of the Washington Post. And the first line in the article is, Cheryl Costa is a witch. <laughs> And the producer of the television program. One second. Drop something important. Um, so the bottom line was we had all this visibility. So many years later, I'm working, I'm working on my bachelor's degree, and I get challenged to do a thesis. I said, can I do a video thesis? And they said, fine. So we went back down to DC, found a lot of old cronies that we knew. Um, took video equipment with us, lighting equipment, had uh, rented a hotel suite for a weekend, holiday weekend, and had people who were familiar to the show or had appeared on the show come up into the suite and sit down and let us interview them. Of course, the poor maids at the hotel came in and saw the television lights in our hotel suite, thought we were making an adult movie. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we ended up making a, a 94-minute academic version and then the, the version that we have in distribution is 52 minutes. It's, a, it's cut down significantly. But uh, we did it about, the, about what it was like before we did a show and how we changed the culture. And one of the things in the narration, we were talking about the fact that they've been, there's the, the effort to take matriarchy out of the power structure has been going on for 5,000 years, okay? And that was, that's the biggest problem we have in our culture. And I literally said in an essay I wrote last week for, for something, I said, we need to get matriarchy back in charge of things and stop squandering all of our country's resources on war after war after war. The guys have are dunderheads and they have messed it up beautifully. We need to get that reeled in. And that's my attitude. Yeah, get 16 women in, a, women in a tent with some incense and we'll sort it out. Not a punch thrown. It's just, it's been so fascinating talking to you. We, we could have sat here for another two hours. I know I could have. I, I absolutely could have. Please, please email me that picture of the French Foreign Legion guy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I've got one of me yeah. in a Soviet doctor's uniform. Um, uh, crazy stuff. Uh, I think the, from my viewpoint, the biggest thing is if I'm telling anybody anything from the clairvoyant side of things, UFOs, paranormal, ghosts, Sasquatch, all the things that we consider post uh, paranormal, and they all seem to be in their separate little stovepipe. It's all one phenomena. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, totally, and that is that's a lovely way, a lovely way to put it. We have found that everything seems to just all tie in together and it, it can't be separated no matter how many people try. I've but, had I've had conversations with the people who ex exercise this CE5 thing with initiating contact you know, mm -hmm. from humans. And uh, in fact, when I was writing my column, I wrote several columns about it and said, hey, I think CE5 is cool, you know, uh, as a as a as a monk, let me tell you, this is what you knew to make your meditation better. Don't eat pepperoni pizza. 
before you want to meditate, you know, uh, things like this, you know, don't just come right in off the highway, off the expressway, uh, motorway, and and then sit down in the lawn chair and say, we're going to call somebody, you know, you got to cool down. Okay. Um, all this sort of thing. And we're not trying to convert you to witchcraft, but I guarantee you that the training within craft will give you a leg up on it. And we don't worship the devil. Heck, I'm a priestess of Isis, you know, I mean, uh, a set, you know, so. <laughs> yeah, I know. So Cheryl, just before we finish, um, if we've sort of like created some new fans out there who perhaps weren't sort of like following your work before, where's the best place that you can direct them to, to read your books, find out about you and your papers and things? Okay, Amazon, okay, first thing, if they absolutely want to reach out to me, Okay, um, an email address, Cheryl Costa, Cheryl with a C, Costa with a C, uh, Cheryl Costa dot friends at Gmail. Okay, um, and if they want to do that, Cheryl Costa dot friends at Gmail. Uh, if they want to get my books uh, or our books and cases on the UFO stuff, we do it together. And I've got short stories out there. I've got all the all the articles I wrote from my column out there, uh, 60 books out there on Amazon. So if you go up to Amazon, Google search or uh, Amazon book search and put in Cheryl Costa, two words, uh, you'll get everything. If it's going to, you're going to be scrolling through a lot. If you just say Cheryl Costa UFOs, you'll get that stuff you show cheryl costa which you'll get this up if you say playwright you'll get something else uh, i've got a book of short stories you know i'm a short story writer so um all that stuff's up there on amazon for the most part and hey amazon they'll print it off for you in britain trust me you know uh, in fact the first books of the witchcraft book the first 20 books we sold in england excellent okay. and what about your social media handles where can uh, people get hold of you on that? I am on Twitter. Okay. I am on Twitter, uh, Costa underscore, uh, let's see, at Costa underscore writer. Okay. I'm on there. And um, I have, I'm not on Facebook presently. Uh, we had some credentials problems and they think I'm a hacker from my own account. So <laughs> I haven't been on there for six months, but I'm so bloody busy right now doing the next series of books. Here's what I'm working on. Yes, I'm working on a hotspots books for the United States for UFO hotspots. We've done preliminary work to do the shapes books. And I'm, I'm under contract to the university to write my memoir. And I have literally put in... 40 hours this week working on the memoir. Okay. It's a lot of work. I had to dig out old, old journals and things and look it up and everything like this. And reading some of those old journals, I started a little list on a steno pad over here of all the people I'm going to block or, or ghost. <laughs> <laughs> um, but bottom line, uh, you're going to see more coming out of me. I got a couple of novels up. Uh, I got a lot of short stories. If they write Cheryl Costa dot friends, if they ask to read my short stories, I will give them the links to Booksy and they can, they can read my short stories. They can read my aviation combat novel from World War II, you know, um, all that stuff. Wow. There's a, there's a bit to meet everybody's taste in there, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah. I think you're going to all cover. I got a sci-fi novel. We wrote that in 15 weeks. I was doing it for a writing class. And she said, we can either analyze other people's work or you can write a novel. 15 weeks. So it, was, it ended up 
a thousand words a day, five days a week for 15 weeks and generated the whole novel. And we published it last year, uh, done five years ago, but we published Amazing. it last year on Booksy and it's available. I can send you a link if you, link if you want it. Perfect. Great. Well, thank you very thank much you. for taking the time. Anytime. To, uh, to us over the pond. It's been really fascinating. If you want to talk again sometime and just talk straight up paranormal, let's yep. just do that and have a little less me talking. Let's have a little bit more dialogue. I apologize for talking so much. Oh, no, no, okay. no. That's what we wanted. <laughs> Thanks, Cheryl. Bye-bye now. Ta-ta. Thank you.